Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S., and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to the Appalachian region. And I am your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. And I am so delighted to have on the program today our first children's author and illustrator that we've ever had on the program. We've been doing these uh, podcast programs on the network here for the last four years, and I'm so delighted to have our children's author, a children's author, and a children's illustrator spotlighted on the program today. And the reason we haven't had them on before is probably your host's responsibility and error, but uh, we are going to fix that going forward as uh, this closes out our uh, interview series and our interview segments for 2021. If you're just tuning into the program for the first time, or you've been with us uh, all the way since the very beginning four years ago, as we finish out December 2021 with our last podcast interview of the year, I'm so glad to have Ashley Belote with us today as our first children's author and children's illustrator on the program. And she is a very accomplished children's illustrator and author. She's the illustrator of the book Frankenslime and also Valenslime. She is the author illustrator of a solo debut, which uh, came out just recently. It's an early reader book called The Me Tree, which came out from Penguin Workshop. And we're delighted to uh, talk about that today as well. She also has a solo debut picture book called Listen Up, Luella. She studied traditional animation under the direction of Don Bluth. She earned her BA from Alderson Broadish University and her MA in Arts Administration from the University of Kentucky. Her graduate study included a children's literature and children's illustration course, the whole book approach through Simmons College, as well as the also taking place at the Eric Carle Museum of Picture Book Art. And she also serves as the illustrator coordinator for the Carolinas chapter of SCBWI, and she is represented by Mo Ferrara of Bookends Literary Agency, and we are so delighted to have uh, Ashley Belote with us here today, uh, an outstanding illustrator and children's book author. So Ashley, welcome to the program. So glad to have you on as our first children's author and illustrator on the program. So great to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much, Elliot. I am ecstatic to be here today and for you and I to finally get to connect over this platform. You know, we've known each other for a few years, so I'm really glad this finally worked out for the two of us. You have an amazing program. So like I said, I'm super excited to be here. Well, thank you so much. And it's my pleasure to have you on. And again, please, please don't hold it against the host for not, not having any more children's authors and illustrators on prior to you. We're, we're going to fix that heading into 2022, I promise. But I'm, I'm happy to be the first. <laughs> oh, right. Me too. I'm so glad that you are the, the, the first one to join us. And I want to ask you, Ashley, before we get into to your two most recent books, uh, The Me Tree and Frankenslime, I know that uh, in following you and doing some research uh, on what you've been up to prior to our interview today, that you are a big proponent and a big advocate for going into schools and talking to students, talking to uh, classrooms of students, auditoriums of students, teachers and librarians uh, at a variety of schools. And I know that's a big part of of your outreach as an author. Uh, Can you talk just for a few minutes about the the importance of that and, and why you value that and think that's important? And maybe 
to a larger extent, the importance of getting uh, young children interested in reading and storytelling and, and getting them engaged in, in reading at an early age? Absolutely. Yeah, you are exactly right. I am. I love to go into schools. I love talking to kids about art and illustration and reading and books. Literacy is a huge, huge aspect of life. It really is. And those skills need to be fostered at a young age. And I think having authors and illustrators go into schools is a great way for kids to see that you can do this for your career. You can be a writer. You can be an illustrator. You can make books for a living. That is absolutely possible, especially coming from a state like West Virginia. I will tell you, I have received so much support from my West Virginia family throughout my book career thus far. And they are so amazing because we are a big family and literacy is extremely important in this state. So one of the things that I love to do, I just came off of a big book tour with Frank and Slime and I went into several schools in West Virginia. I was in Greenbrier County. I was in Grafton. And then I did a school visit at my elementary school that I attended Terra Alta East Preston in Terra Alta. And that was really neat to go and share a book with those kids and tell them that I grew up here and I went to this school. And so one thing that I'm always certain to tell these kids is that you really can achieve dreams. Dreams do come true. And those dreams happen when you try to be a good student. And part of being a good student is being able to read. So we talk about how reading is super important. And when I do my school visits, we start off by reading my book or books. And then we talk about some reading comprehension. We go over some things that happened in the story. We talk about some plot points. We talk about characters. We talk about setting. And with Frankenslime, it's really a lot of fun because I can talk about the fact that I didn't write these words. I had to take these words and put pictures to these words. So I had to be able to really read and understand and essentially read between the lines and search in my imagination to pull pictures from these sentences. So we talk about how words are amazing and they can lead to amazing options in your imagination that you create these wonderful pictures in your head. And after we discuss all of those points, then I teach them how to draw one of the characters from the story. So there's so many different components that come with doing a school visit that go from reading, the importance of reading, to the importance of visual literacy as well. Because for the kids who struggle with reading, visual literacy is a great way to kind of prod them along in the reading process. Because you can always, you can read pictures before you can read words. So you can tell what's happening in a scene without necessarily reading about it. So it's a great way to help those kids who are struggling a little bit or just beginning to read the pictures and that will help them then read the words. So like you said at the beginning, I love talking to students of all ages. I've gone to preschools, to elementary schools, into middle schools and high schools. And I've also spoken at colleges. So there's, it's never too late <laughs> to get into this or to foster a love of reading. I think a lot of kids stop reading because they see it as difficult and you don't like to do things that are hard. I totally get that. But if it's fostered in a fun way through books like picture books, then you can create lifelong readers if you start with these types of books now. So I that is part of my advocacy as a West Virginia author illustrator um, to get kids to see the fun and grow and love reading. I'm so glad you said that because I know you and I share similar philosophies on this in terms of 
you know, working with students and reaching out to them. I mean, I've spent my, my, most of my professional career or a great deal of my professional career uh, teaching college students how to become better writers and critical thinkers. And uh, there's such a direct correlation from the students that I work with uh, who are 18 to 22 to 24 years old. Uh, the students who are the strongest writers were also the best readers uh, and grew up in a culture of reading and like to read, uh, even if it's not necessarily textbook reading and those kinds of things, but they were readers. And, and I feel like that um, one of the things that I have conversations with students all the time, and I know you do too when you, when you talk with these kids is, um, it, and I feel this way too, if you can read well, um, even if you can read things that maybe you don't like to read, but you can read well and process what you read, as you were saying a moment ago, you're going to be successful no matter what you do in life, no matter what professional track you take, no matter what vocational track you take uh, as an adult. If you can read well and understand and comprehend what you read, that's going to set you up for success. It most definitely is because reading is the most important thing. It really is. You have to be able to read to do anything in life. And I know when I was going off to college, my mom said, we were talking about cooking. She's like, if you can read, you can cook. And she was correct. If you can read, you can do so many things. And again, a lot of kids, it's, it is difficult. It's hard to learn to read. It is. But a lot of kids just never really get out of that funk of it being something that is for school, not for pleasure or enjoyment or things to inspire your imagination. They just see it as something that you do only at school and that it's hard because you associate school with homework and that's not everyone's favorite thing to do. But reading is so much more than that. And that's what, again, I'm trying to get across in, in these visits and beyond. Very good. Glad glad to hear you're doing that. And I know that's a big part uh, uh, of what you do as an, as an author and illustrator and has been for a long time. So I'm so glad uh, to hear that it's going well and that you're really making some strong connections with those students in those schools. So let's talk about one of your most recent books. We'll talk about The Me Tree, which was your most recent book in just a second. But one of your books that I absolutely loved was called Frankenslime. Uh, before we get to that particular storyline and some of the really great things that you've got in that book, you worked with author Joy Keller on bringing that book to completion. How did you meet Joy? What was that process like working with an author in terms of trying to create pictures to go along with her words and text? How does that relationship, how did you guys meet? What was that process like? So it was very interesting. I actually have never met her in person before. And I've come from the independent publishing world where I would work directly with authors. Authors would hire me directly to make illustrations. And when I got the contract for Frankenslime, um, Frankenslime is published by Fible and Friends, which is an imprint of Macmillan. And how those publishing houses pair up authors and illustrators is they have a manuscript and they everyone reads it. And then they come up with a list of illustrators who they think might be a good fit. And I submitted a sample because there was a call for illustrators to draw anthropomorphic slime online. So I made up a sample of this little girl and this fun slime character and submitted it and ended up getting chosen for the project. So they tried to keep the author and the illustrator separate because they don't want either of you to be influenced by the other. And because if you think about it, when you brainstorm with someone, you're putting ideas out there then someone else is contributing ideas and you come up with new things versus brainstorming on your own and working directly from what you've got. So I received the manuscript and loved it the instant that I read it because Joy writes 
she's an amazing writer, first of all, but she writes in a way that lends itself extremely well to illustration because she leaves gaps for the illustrator to bring in their own imagination and their ideas. So I was ecstatic because she would essentially build a diving board that I then got to jump off of. So she kind of set the scene and then it was my job to take that next step. So it was very interesting to work that way because like I said, I come from a background of working directly with the author. So this was a completely new experience that I really enjoyed. And we did have a Zoom meeting after Frankenslime came out just to talk about how great it is and how excited we both are to share it and have it out into the world and how excited we were that we got to work on Valenslime afterwards. So again, it's just allowing both parties to use their imagination and bring what they want to the table. And in this particular story that you and Joy have created, uh, we meet a slime scientist named uh, Victoria Frankenstein. Um, and the cool thing about her, she's an African-American. So she uh, goes against the, the typical trope that we think of with the Frankenstein story. Um, but she's done so well and she's so creative and so talented. She's kind of bored with what she's been doing. And so she and her little pup, puppy sidekick, Igor, concoct uh, some, some new kind of slime. One is called Rainbow Cloud Slime and one is called Glow in the Dark Zombie Slime. So why is she concocting all of this and what does she hope this is going to do if she's able to perfect this new kind of slime? I love this story so much, first of all. <laughs> so Victoria and Igor, they are scientists and scientists are always striving to do their best and to be better and to make something beyond what they have already achieved. And Victoria and Igor take a cue from those types of scientists and they grow bored with regular slime. So there's a scene in the story where she's sitting just kind of, you know, ho-hum. Igor's asleep on top of her chair with all these slimes behind her. And they're just not good enough anymore. She knows that she can do better. So she has that initiative and that perseverance. So she and Igor decide to go bigger and they achieve some of their goal in what you were saying, the rainbow cloud slime and my personal favorite, the glow in the dark zombie slime. And they decide that those still aren't quite there. So they decide to go even bigger and they make this wonderful concoction and then it gets struck by lightning and comes to life and makes a slime monster. And at this point, when I'm reading the story, the slime monster comes alive and you turn the page and it says, it's alive. And all the kids are screaming and they're like, ah, oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's, it is so much fun because you do see that, that spark that kids have to their curiosity and wanting to do more than what they are doing. And Victoria is the epitome of that and achieves her goal ultimately because she does make something super fantastic that she never thought she could do. It just didn't turn out exactly how she had planned, which ends up of course being a good thing. You know, plans often go awry in the most wonderful of ways. And luckily for Victoria and Igor, that's what happens in Frankenstein. <laughs> 
Yes, and I love that the monster ends up becoming more helpful to them in the long run than he is mischievous and, and destructive, like we typically would think of or, or connect to when we think of their traditional Frankenstein story. Uh, you know, the, the monster ends up being more good-natured and, and more curious and interested in them as much as uh, Victoria and Igor are in, in it. Uh, and I love that that interplay there. And, and I love the story because there's just so many humorous details. I love what you write, what Victoria has on her beat. I love the little sayings that she's got on her uh, chalkboard wall in the lab. Um, I, I just love that there's so much humor in here to where uh, when you have those scary moments, like you were saying, it's alive and the kids get all uh, worried, maybe a little bit and upset that there's enough humor in there to carry the story forward. And I, I just want to ask you about that. Is, is that something that, that, that Joy had set up with uh, in the manuscript and, and drafting the, 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 uh, the, the parts of that? Or is that something that kind of came together, the humor aspect as you guys were working uh, on getting everything put together? Where did the humor come from? Because I thought it was really one of the great strengths of the book. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that really developed organically as I was working on a lot of the artwork for the spreads. Uh, again, like I was saying, Joy is a wonderful children's writer because she sets up these scenes so well that I really felt inspired. And in the beginning, she says that Victoria sets up a lab blank. And it was my job to then say, oh, okay. Uh, she gives just enough and then lets you really bring your own thoughts and your own imagination into it. So I was trying to figure out what type of person Victoria would be. And I think as artists and authors, we oftentimes use parts of ourselves and our characters and in our artwork. So I definitely did that with Victoria and the setting because when I was a kid, I thought it was so cool when my parents would work and they had like notes stuck up on bulletin boards for like important things they had to remember. So I used to make little notes about, you know, nothing and stick them up on the wall. Like it was super important stuff that I had to remember. And I figured that Victoria is a creative kid. She would probably do that same exact thing. So I basically had her mind written out on these little notes and spread them all throughout the book. And I also do that a lot in my art because like you said, it, it provides a humorous moment and humor is wonderful because it can really help carry tough moments. It can help carry confusing moments. It can help carry sensitive moments and provide a section of comic relief, which I think is super important because even though some books may be more serious in tone, there's always an opportunity for a little comic relief and a little laugh and a little chuckle. Um, so with Frankenslime, it does do a lot with the scientific method. So it's a great STEM and STEAM book, which I love that Victoria is a girl because we have girls in STEM, which I think is very important. So I knew that I wanted to have a lot of options in the artwork for the kids to want to read through it once and then be inspired to go back and try to find things that they missed. So I love trying to pack my artwork full of these fun things because again, it's a way to promote rereadability and provide some humor. And there is a little tiny chameleon that I hid around in the book and, you know, chameleons can change colors. So oftentimes he's just kind of blended into the background. So in my school visits, a lot of times we'll try to find the chameleon on, on specific pages. So it's, it's all fun and a way, like I said, that you can, you can communicate messages with humor and with these little tiny details that are Oh my gosh. Like I said, it's so fun. <laughs> it, is, it is a great book. And if you've got uh, someone in your family ages four to seven, 
this is probably the the kind of book uh, that you want to get for them and uh, and read it often, but especially around Halloween time, that would be a good time to kind of uh, get them interested uh, in terms thematically tying it in with a certain season. Um, your most recent book, The Me Tree, I, I love this book too, because it, it's different, but it's got some of the same characteristics we saw from, from Frankenstein. And this book you did all, all on your own. This, this is one that you wrote and illustrated yourself. Um, and this is really centered, centered around a, a disgruntled bear who's searching for solitude. Uh, he wakes up, his cave is too crowded, he wants to get away from, from all of these uh, distractions and, and all of these people that are or other animals, I should say, not necessarily people, but other animals that are crowding his space. Um, and so he kind of seeks out and searches uh, on this quest to find another place to live. Um, and he finds a tree house. He decides a tree house is going to be the best place for him. He can be up high. He can get away from everything. Uh, but then he finds out when he gets to the tree house, all is not what he thought it was going to be. So what does Bear encounter when he identifies the tree house and decides this is where I'm going to get my peace and quiet? He gets in there and then what happens? Oh, poor Bear. Poor Bear learns that the treehouse was already the home to a number of uninvited guests. And when I say uninvited guests, we begin with something simple like a squirrel. Bear is trying to watch some, watch some TV, turns on the TV and gets an error message that says, your account is already in use. And we have all experienced that, you know, at one point or another. So Bear, obviously confused, heads to the kitchen to get some popcorn, but all the popcorn is gone. So now we're just, we're learning about a trend here. So there's some squirrels that eat all the popcorn and things just escalate from there. We have some skunks. We have a sloth who takes too long in the bathroom. We have a manatee who is using Bear's loofah in the shower. And then Bear goes outside to try to get away from it all. And there's a giraffe who is literally slinking himself through the window, up the chimney and out the top. So Bear has completely lost his solitude. And that's when he kind of hits the breaking point and things don't necessarily progress in the way that we should handle them in those situations because Bear gets frustrated and he asks all the animals to leave. So we see all the animals looking sad because they will miss Bear. And so Bear goes back inside and starts to really enjoy his solitude but after he's there for a while by himself, he sees all these little notes that the animals have written to him about them enjoying the activities that they were doing, quote unquote, with Bear. So the squirrels leave a note saying, we love watching movies and eating popcorn together. Love squirrels. So Bear, of course, starts to feel a little bit bad about asking them all to leave. So he apologizes, which is, I think, a good message. That's something that kids and adults should always keep in mind. And he invites them back and together they then transform what was the me tree into the we tree and create a place where they can all live together. It's a great story, and I want to come back to it in just a second and ask you a couple more questions uh, about some of the other uh, underlying themes and messages to it. But we are uh, really having a great conversation today with children's illustrator and author Ashley Belot. She is the author of the two most recent books, one called Frankenslime, one that she illustrated with uh, author Joy Keller, uh, and her new book called The Me Tree, which she illustrated and wrote herself. So, Ashley, we'll come back to The Me Tree uh, in just a couple minutes. But I wanted to ask you for 
folks in our audience who are new to children's literature, maybe they've got uh, a son or daughter, a grandson, granddaughter, a niece or nephew who is getting to the age where they're interested in reading or they're trying to get them interested in reading. Who are some children's authors that you really like or maybe some children's books that have come out here recently that you could recommend to some folks who are looking to get their kids interested in reading or a book that might pique their interest? Uh, what's out there right now that people should be paying attention to and who are some children's authors that, that you admire and kind of look to as inspirational? That's great. There's so many options right now. There's a big push in the industry for diversity, which is something that we desperately need. Every kid should be able to see themselves in a picture book. So there's a big push for that. Plus there's a big push for kindness and friendship. And one of my big admirers is uh, Molly Idol. Anything. She is an, she's an author illustrator and her books are, they're beautiful and they are about friendship and have lovely messages. Another big influence in the industry is Dan Santat. He is an amazing illustrator. He does, he works on all different types of books and his artwork is, it carries a lot of humor in the art and can again, carry different types of messages with humor. And Tammy Sauer is an amazing author. Everything that she writes is hilarious. So if you need a good laugh, turn to Tammy. She has so many books come out every year that you're never bored. And there's always something new to look forward to with her. And those are, I would say those are the three big ones that I personally look to. And they make books that have some messages that younger kids can understand, but that older kids can really get into and start applying to their own lives, which I think is important because Picture books, while meant to be entertaining, they are meant to teach, and they're also meant for kids to be able to identify with their situations. So even if if you've got two kids, say one is three and one is seven, and you're looking for a book to satisfy, picture books really are the way to go because the little ones will be entertained by the pictures, and the older ones will also be entertained by the pictures, but also the messages. So those three authors and illustrators are great ones to satisfy multiple audiences. Fantastic. And I want to ask you about your process uh, as a writer and illustrator. And we could use the Mitri as an example, since you did both uh, in that particular story or served in both roles, both as the author and the illustrator. What is your process like when you get an idea for uh, a story, either as the illustrator or, or doing both roles? How does your process work? How long does it take you to do the illustrations? How long does it take you to think about uh, the, the story, if you're doing both roles, how does your process work? And, and what does it take to get a first draft of something like this ready, uh, either to uh, be revised or to be sent out for uh, agent or publication representation? How does all of that work for you? It is definitely a process. And the wonderful thing about being an author and an illustrator is everyone's process seems to be a little bit different. For me in particular, I have to have a picture of the characters before I can write about them doing something. So for example, with the me tree, the me tree began as this picture of a tree with a bear peeking out from behind it and some squirrels kind of tormenting him from the top. So I, I got this idea for this bear who just wanted to be by himself. And so I sketched out my character and got it, got a feel for the bear and what he would look like, because you have to get to know your characters like a person and become their friend 
essentially. So once I figured out who Bear was and what he wanted, then that's when I really started crafting the story around that character sketch. And I do a lot of back and forth. So I would write a little bit and then I would sketch some things because if I would get stuck in the writing process, I would just draw some things that I would enjoy seeing a bear try to do. So I drew a scene of bear trying to make a sandwich. I drew a picture of bear trying to essentially go to the bathroom uninterrupted and, you know, tried to do all these things. And that eventually led to the series of events that takes place throughout the story. So it, it's very different for, for me to work like that versus just being the illustrator. So it was a very unique experience that I really enjoyed and hope that I get to do more of because it is a lot of back and forth. And a lot of times if I get an idea for a story, I'll get the title idea first. So I'll write that down and then immediately go to character sketching. So if you're trying to get out of being stuck in a story, do some sketching, do some doodling. And something I've tried to stop doing is editing myself in my head. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll get an idea for a picture or a line and you'll think mm, that that probably won't work, but you should always just write it down anyways, because it might lead you to something that is amazing and does work. So it's, it's all about just having the freedom of your imagination and just let your imagination kind of guide you. But I would say that like within my process, there is quite a bit of back and forth from sketching to writing. We're talking with author and children's illustrator, children's book illustrator, Ashley Belote here on Now Appalachia. She is the author of a variety of different children's books, as well as an illustrator of a variety of different children's books. Uh, her two most recent ones, Frankenslime, which she illustrated with author uh, Joy Keller and her most recent book called The Me Tree. So Ashley, I want to go back to The Me Tree for, for a minute because uh, we've touched on this a couple of times in, in our discussion. I couldn't think of an animal any better uh, than a sloth to be in the bathroom when you really need to go in terms of trying to occupy that space. And I read that scene several times and just laughed out loud because it was perfect. That's the perfect kind of animal uh, for that scene. And I just love the humor in this story as well. And I loved where the sloth carries the note that says, I am sad when he's told he kind of has to leave the tree, uh, leaves the tree house because he, he enjoys being there so much and likes being there with bear. But I noted the, the acorn flakes box, for example, is something that I, I, I loved because when we talk about humor, the ingredients, a couple of the ingredients for the acorn flakes box includes dirt and more dirt. So when I was thinking about how would you make acorn flakes? Yes, it would have to have dirt and more dirt because that's kind of where they reside and kind of what their what what their their basis is. And I, I just love the humor uh, in this as as much as it was present uh, in Frankenslime. And so so I was glad to see that thread going forward. But something else I really liked uh, in terms of of the story is I, I think that. Uh, you really challenge young kids to read uh, at a higher level here. And I noted that uh, there were some some signs in the background that, that had some uh, some language that maybe young children wouldn't maybe be able to pronounce. Potpourri was an example uh, of a word that was printed on a sign in the background in, in one of the scenes in the book. And, and I really liked that. I, I feel like, you know, for readers who maybe are a little more advanced or children who are a little more advanced reading, they can take on that challenge. But if they're not quite there yet, seeing those words on those signs doesn't distract from the story. And I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, about that, about putting some of those uh, more advanced reading uh, 
words and language and vocabulary in some of those scenes if if that was something you, you set out to do or just something that kind of happened as you were trying to think about how are the how's the story and the scenes going to work how, how did that happen because I loved that technique and that feature how there were some more advanced words kind of in the background for for kids who might be at that level thank you I'm glad that I'm glad that comes across I designed this book as what's called a bridge book so what that technically means is it is a book for kids who are still in the picture book age who love looking at images and rely heavily on the visual narrative to help them through the story but also for those kids who are just beginning to read on their own they can recognize a lot of sight words so the text is very simple like you were saying there's a lot of sight words that kids can start to read on their own but then there are a few more challenging words like potpourri uh, community is another one that's in the background. So it is designed to help those kids be confident in the fact that they can recognize sight words so they can recognize a lot in this book and they can make it through a lot of this book on their own with sight words only. And then for those kids who are really comfortable with sight words, then they can be challenged. They can challenge themselves to try to sound out these, these longer words. So I, I am really glad that that comes across because this can satisfy multiple audiences and it can entertain the littles with the pictures. And then kind of like with Frankenstein, you can really allow a child to, you can kind of set them free to try to read this book on their own. And I had a lot of kids at a book signing recently open it up and were recognizing the sight words and pointing to them, but then kind of falling back on the pictures to help them get through the story if they can't quite string the words together into sentences that have meaning just yet. So I'm, like I said, I'm super excited that that comes across because that was one of the goals of this book was to, for kids to have that experience. And there is going to be a sequel that comes out next year, which I'm excited about. And the same goes for that. You know, it's, it's really important for kids to have confidence and to recognize the fact that they are getting through several of these pages without any help. And then when they do need help, then they have that opportunity to learn a new word. I love it. I thought it was such a great technique and it, it wasn't done, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, overhanded. It, it was just done subliminally. And I love that, that uh, for kids who were a little bit more advanced as readers, uh, I've got a couple cousins in my family who are reading well above their grade level. And that would be, you know, something they would notice and, and would enjoy being able to kind of see those words and, and be challenged by those words. Uh, and then for those who aren't, they're able to kind of move through the story. We won't tell what happens to Bear and his friends at the end. That that may kind of spoil the story. And I, I would certainly encourage folks uh, who have children uh, in some way, shape, or form in their lives to, to get the Me Tree because it's a wonderful story that teaches so many values about alone time, but also community and the and the importance of community. And you you kind of answered already my next question, which was, what are you working on next? It sounds like you've got a sequel to the Me Tree in the works. Is there Anything else you've got coming up in addition to that that uh, we should be on the lookout for coming from you? Yes, definitely. Thank you for asking that. I, in addition to the Me Tree sequel, that will be out next October. And it is a Christmas themed book, which I'm very excited about. I've not worked on a winter holiday themed story before. So that was a neat experience. I have my solo debut picture book, Listen Up Luella, coming out June 21st, 2022. And I just this week turned in the final art for that. So everything we've seen the first round of proofs and everything's looking great. So it's it's been neat to be an author illustrator in this realm 
of picture books now because I get to see so much of what happens behind the scenes and approving proofs and looking for these little tiny details and fixing all of my little tiny mistakes <laughs> along the way. <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> so it's it's been such a wonderful experience and I just hope that I can continue to do this forever. It's, it is truly a passion that I'm so lucky has, has turned into a career. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, congratulations to you. And so uh, in our closing moments, Ashley, if anybody wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, your career as a writer, if there is a teacher or a school or a librarian that's listening, uh, one of those three are connected all together in some way, shape or form, and they'd like to reach out to you to have you uh, to talk to you about a speaking engagement or, or coming and being a speaker or a reader in their classroom. Uh, or they want to find out more information about Frankenslime, the Me Tree, uh, your other books that you've done. How can they get in contact with you, first of all, for that? And then where can they get copies of the Me Tree? Excellent. So my books are available anywhere online that books are sold. You can also find direct links to buy all of my books on my website, ashleybelote.com. That's A S H L E Y B E L O T E. Dot com. And also on my website, I've got a contact page with my email address listed directly, but also a form if you would like to fill it out for your school visit. But if you aren't quite sure of the details of what you're looking for in a school visit, just send me an email and we can, I'm happy to chat about it. I am a huge advocate for students and literacy and will be happy to come to any school that I can. We have been delighted to have on the program today children's author and illustrator Ashley Belote. Uh, she is from West Virginia originally, got her master's degree in Kentucky. She now lives uh, in North Carolina. She is the author of the brand new children's book called The Me Tree, which you need to check out. Again, if you have kids uh, in your sphere of influence in some way, shape, or form in your life, either children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, uh, kids in your neighborhood, kids you go to church with, uh, kids you volunteer with, uh, they're going to love this story. Uh, it, it's a great story about a disgruntled bear who searches for solitude. And her other book, which you're going to want to make sure you get, uh, in addition to the Me Tree, is called Frankenslime. This is a book that Ashley illustrated in conjunction with author Joy Keller. Uh, Ashley, these are terrific books. And what you're doing for not only the literary community as a writer and an illustrator, but what you're doing to reach out to children and influence and inspire them uh, about reading and the joys of reading is wonderful. We need more people like you out there doing this important work. So thank you for these great stories, the wonderfully illustrated books, uh, and congratulations on uh, uh, the new book coming out uh, in June called Listen Up Luella, and also the sequel that'll be coming about the Me Tree. So we're so happy for everything that you've done, uh, and congratulations. And uh, when uh, the Luella book comes out, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. And I'm so glad to have you on as our first children's author and illustrator on Now Appalachia. So thanks for being with us. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Elliot. I would love to come back anytime. You have an amazing career and an amazing program. And I, again, am so grateful that I was able to spend this time with you today. It's much appreciated. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we want to take a couple of minutes here as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia, our final uh, episode uh, of the 2021 calendar year. We want to say thanks and give a special shout out to two people who make all these podcasts possible. The first is the executive producer of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. And we also want to thank the uh, her assistant. And he is the assistant executive producer of all the podcasts here on Now Appalachia. His name is Roman Sorotin. 
We appreciate both Roman and Pam's work. Uh, They do so much behind the scenes to make sure these podcasts happen, and we couldn't get it done and couldn't have them available to you without their work. So thanks, Pam and Ronan, uh, not only for uh, what you've done with this particular episode, but what you've done throughout uh, the 2021 year for the Now Appalachia podcast, as well as the other podcasts that you hear and check out on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Special thanks to them. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Well, that's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.